85% of daily fantasy sports players lose. Don't be surprised, it's rigged. You're playing against thousands of lineups and experts with more tools and time. Stat Hero is the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage. Here's how it works Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head to head matchup. You name your stakes and winner takes all. So go to stathero.com slash capspace. You can sign up for free. And right now you get 300% back on your first play. That's stathero.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Good Sunday afternoon to you here on Dunkdown. We still have three more playoff series that we need to take a look at. OKC Houston, Denver, Utah, and Boston, Philly. The three series that I probably expect to be the closest to probably throw indiana miami in there as well we previewed that back on thursday did the rest yesterday when we also talked about that awesome play-in game so danny i'll leave it to you to steer this good ship where are we starting let's start with denver utah we deliberately held back that series from the episode we recorded on saturday because we wanted to see if we got any further information about availability of nuggets players in particular and we ended up getting the most surprising news of of the morning on sunday we're related to the series but not related to those mike conley is going to leave the bubble for the birth of his son he's going back to columbus ohio congratulations of course to the conleys but it totally changes the series it's something that we couldn't have anticipated or at least i didn't i didn't know that they were that he and his his wife were expecting um but it does change the series because Connolly will be I mean the assumption has to be that he will definitely be out for games one and two and that he could potentially return for game three depending on quarantine length and return date so Utah it has come up with the Boyan Bogdanovich injury that they they're a much more shallow team than they were originally however the guard line is actually in many ways even thinner than the forward line it's just that we assumed that Connolly and Donovan Mitchell would both be available yeah they staggered those guys and have one of them on the floor at all times and so really now the problem is what happens when donovan mitchell is out of the game that's going to be emmanuel moutier time or nigel williams goss time maybe they would just play clarkson at point guard and play him together with ingles have kind of ingles be the main pick and roll guy which he likes to be on the second unit and ingles is actually a decent matchup against the way that denver plays pick and roll defense because having the height to pass over that double team at the point of attack the aggressive pick and roll defense that they play with Jokic and Plumlee that's actually a, a really useful skill and also Ingles is could be dynamic getting to his left hand a little bit but he's not just like so awesome score you got to get it out of his hands he generally wants to make passes with that left hand to the right side of the floor to shooters uh so maybe they'll be able to get by in the ball handling sense without too much Moutier but then they need to get other guys involved so I mean, we're probably going to have to see Mie One or Jarrell Brantley or Rajon Tucker come in off the bench and really get some time here for this group. I think my guess is that Quinn Snyder is going that way rather than Moutier just because Moutier struggled so much in some of the seeding games. And because if Moutier struggles, he provides so little elsewhere like he, he becomes yeah. the, the jazz become so much easier to defend and he hasn't been particularly good defensively from what i can recall either and so yeah we we've been using the structure largely of like when the jazz have the ball when the nuggets have the ball so we could start with when utah has it and without conley it puts so much on donovan mitchell i mean they don't 
really have that many other guys that can dribble and pass and ideally dribble, pass, and shoot. And that that's going to be a, a big problem. Now, it is true that we don't know the availability of Gary Harris. I would say that he is the best nugget to defend Donovan Mitchell, and it is concerning to be sure that that Harris missed all of the all of the seeding games and has not has not played yet in the bubble that certainly bodes well poorly for him starting the series but we don't know how he'll be to continue it but the Jazz just they, they're gonna run their stuff but I think that it just becomes a lot less dangerous when the personnel is so much more modest I do actually still think the Jazz can be successful against the Nugget. Denver struggled to the worst defense in the seeding games, 123 defensive rating. Granted, did not have Gary Harris and Will Barton, who are good defenders. Granted, played a lot of garbage time as they sought to settle into the three seed and this matchup against Utah versus a potential matchup against Dallas were they to be the two seed. So I definitely don't think they're the worst defense of any of the teams that that were in the bubble. That's not the case. However, I do think that with the number of pick and rolls that Utah runs, I think they can still score reasonably well against this Denver defense. And again, we talked about how it's putting two guys on the ball with Jokic. The Jazz run the most pick and rolls in the NBA, and they really emphasize driving and kicking. They emphasize working late into possessions, moving the ball around the floor, maybe a little bit less this year, but with Mike Conley out, they may go back to more of that old style that they had. And I think they're going to be able to get a lot of open threes. Now, will they be able to make those? That is an interesting question, right? Royce O'Neal, we saw him be a little more aggressive in the seeding games. Conley is a good shooter. We're not going to have him for probably the first three games, and you're going to be relying on maybe some unproven shooters there. But I think the Jazz are going to be able to get open looks against this Nuggets team. And you might say well they don't have the most dynamic pick and roll ball handlers well in in some ways it almost doesn't matter going against Denver because they are going to be so aggressive defensively it's not necessarily about your pick and roll scoring ability it's about your ability to just get off the ball immediately in pick and roll move it around get open threes get drives to the basket so I I think that is going to be very critical for Utah and I do think that this particularly if Harris and Barton are limited Paul Millsap is probably the only good defender that you can point to in Denver starting five maybe if they go with Jeremy Grant at the three that changes and maybe they just have so much size but that didn't really help them a ton it seemed like in the seeding game so I'm not that worried about Utah's offense generating the good shots maybe it's more about are they gonna be able to knock them down yeah and and that is a very real concern for me a lot as you said a lot of unproven shooters and a lot a lot of players that like Rajon Tucker was a very reluctant shooter, and I think that could be a big problem in this series. You have to be able to, if the player doesn't fire away, you pretty much have to replace them, I would say, in this, because that's how Utah is going to generate offense. And I'm like you, I'm more concerned when Donovan Mitchell is off the floor. Like I could see Utah struggling those minutes, and they could potentially, not that Denver is, especially with potential absences, the deepest team in the world, I could see some real feedback loop problems for Utah because if, if Gobert is off the floor too, they're not going to be as, as reliable defensively. Tony Bradley is not the same guy as, as Rudy Gobert, and I think that Denver can, you know, Monte Morris and some of these Nuggets can attack him. So I could see this being a circumstance where the 
the Utah starters do okay offensively, but I think that the overall the overall team might not might not look as as strong there, and and it could it, it does all kind of run together from for me in that respect. Who do you think the Jazz are going to start for Conley Clarkson? They started him in a couple of the seeding games. Yeah, I, I think I think they are going to go with Clarkson just because he's dynamic. He's dynamic enough, and that they're going to they're going to need a little bit. Of that. Maybe they do the early pull and then bring him in with the second unit. Yeah. That idea we've yeah. seen a lot of teams do that at, at moments in the at moments in the past, and then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, is, who are the other candidates, even? I mean, it would normally be Moutier, but Moutier isn't good enough. They could try Mioni, um, and then Mitchell would probably be guarding the one, but I don't think they want that. Um, yeah, it, uh, Oni maybe could do that. I mean, I don't. I, they've got... Uh, Rajon Tucker's not a good, good enough shooter, so it's not going to be him. Maybe it could be Brantley. Maybe it could be Niang, and you move O'Neal down from the four to the three. And, and Royce O'Neal probably would still guard the other team's point guard anyway. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, yeah, and I guess you put Ingles on Mike Porter, assuming he's starting at the three. Yeah, I mean, maybe it is... The more I think about it, maybe it will be Niang because they Niang is a pretty reliable shooter. They start with two bigs with Millsap and Jokic. So if you get into some some kind of a switch, Niang uh, can at least kind of hold up against Jokic in the post. He still would probably get cooked, but uh, and then maybe Niang could have some kind of a chance against Millsap if they go to like the Millsap ISOs. If they want to switch between the three and the four, maybe Niang they feel like Niang can hold up okay with his size on Porter. I don't know if. Niang is actually going to succeed in these roles but there's at least a theory behind it having a little more size and i think in some ways denver the way that they line up can almost allow you to steal some minutes with Niang, keep Clarkson fresh. Are they going to, I would guess they probably close games with Clarkson. I would say so. And at least you have, you know, Clarkson's a solid shooter. He's, and they really probably need one more ball handler out there as well. You know, just Ingles and Mitchell, it might be a, a little bit too limited. So again, you can kind of get that churn going. Um, I worry about Clarkson as a passer. So maybe you have, I, I think Ingles running the initial pick and roll on a lot of these sets, getting off the ball and then setting up Mitchell and Clarkson to drive against a scrambled defense. I think a lot of their sets could end up looking like that. Do you want to shift to when the Nuggets have the ball? Let me think if there's anything else on... Well, so yeah, one more thing too. Uh, Rudy Gobert making plays against on the short roll mm-hmm. is also going to be a big thing. I think you'll see Utah try to short the pick and roll a lot as well, which uh, for those who don't remember, that's basically if you put two on the ball, sometimes the pass directly to the roll man can be too difficult because there's too many arms there. So you throw it to the wing and then that guy throws it to the roll man. Um, you know, Gobert is not that dynamic if he catches the ball you know, on the move above the foul line. He's improved his ability there somewhat, but he's that's not his overall game. So you want a, a way to get him the ball right at the basket. And sometimes it's too difficult to do that uh, if they're double teaming the ball far away from the hoop. So that's something that, that we might look at as well. And I think for, for Denver defensively, we can talk a little bit more about them and who they're going to want to guard. I'm guessing they would probably want to put, and this is tough, you want Millsap to be on probably their worst shooter, I would say, because he really thrives as their back line of the defense once the initial pick and roll takes place and Jokic is further out on the floor. But then you also don't necessarily want Mike Porter guarding Ingles either because Porter is not that great at getting through a screen, but neither is 
Paul Millsap. So I think you're probably going to have to try and find a hiding place for Porter. I think he could get. Taken I, I, advantage I think they're going to. I think they're going to put um, put Jeremy Grant on Ingles. I think that might be the way they try to do it. Yeah, and so then you've got Porter on. Yeah, that creates a problem. On <laughs> on the fifth on the fifth starter, whoever that is. Yeah, whoever that ends up being. Yeah, maybe maybe that's it. Um, but yeah, I mean it's tough too. I, you know, if it's Niang, Millsap probably needs to guard him. You don't want him guarding like a two. So it is if they go with this big ball. I mean, it's going to be this crazy matchup between pretty big guys and pretty small guys at some of these positions, and that's uh, going to require some more for Denver. And then I think if Denver, it's kind of hard to envision all this because there's so many of these positions are in flux, so there are a million permutations to go through. Well, and it could and it could change so much over the course of the series too. I mean, as players yeah. get healthier, as they get more and less available, there will there will inevitably be more injuries too, just to different players. So that will be a, a challenge that 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 they're dealing with too. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like neither team match. I, I don't think either team matches up particularly well against the other. But I mean, I could also see personnel kind of opening some doors for for both of them yeah i think if i knew that mike conley were available the whole series and i mean it wasn't a surprise that he was going to miss this time we just didn't know precisely when during the playoffs it was going to be but if i knew he were available for the whole series and with denver's health problems with harris and barton I probably would have thought very seriously about picking Utah in this series. And I still, I'm still kind of thinking about it. I got to really work through what happens when Denver has the ball as well. But it's going to be, this is going to be a weird series. I think there's no two ways about that. You're going to see players who haven't really been in even regular season rotations in some circumstances actually getting some tick here. And you're going to see some very odd matchups. And I do think to some degree that favors the Jazz and Quinn Snyder that their preparation i do think snyder has the coaching advantage on malone who i wasn't particularly impressed with malone did show some flexibility last year but it also it always seemed like he was making these adjustments like a game or a game and a half late for example like putting tory craig in instead of will barton where that totally saved them in the san antonio series but it was obvious that that move needed to be made like a couple of games earlier and barton was just struggling so badly malone i think it was a little bit too loyal to him at first so and i think just from a pure x's and o's standpoint snyder is more detail oriented that type of coach thrives a little bit more malone i think is more about the system he's more about some of the emotional aspects of coaching coaching effort those type of coaches to me generally don't do quite as well in the playoffs as the ones who are just really detail oriented and do a lot of uh, more different things the the way snyder does so i I do think that's uh, something that can narrow the gap a a little bit here for utah which generally has generally utah to me has overperformed in the playoffs since they started making it in 2017 it just whenever they go up against houston they just don't have it houston are the warriors i mean those are the teams that they've lost to the last three years the other element of the snyder malone part of it that i think is important to mention is the jazz scheme and their pro like the mentality isn't especially offensively isn't going to change that much even if the personnel does whereas Denver can't I mean they can do certain parts of it with because Jokic is so amazing as long as he is available and he's been great in the seeding games but the, like a Porter Jr at the two theoretically we could see lineups like that some of the extreme tall ball stuff if it's Grant and then Millsap and and Jokic if they're trying yeah, to get their that's five what guys they on started the in the seeding games right so, uh, so if they're I, like, I mean I would expect it's probably going to be that right 
It's yeah. hard for me to see Harris or Barton jumping right into the starting lineup having played in none of the seeding games. Exactly. But like that lineup functions different, very differently than some of the other ones that they're going to throw out there. So it's not like they can, they don't have an overall structure like to me, other than like certain parts of it with Jokic and cutting that you could just throw different guys in. And then also with Quinn Snyder, if somebody doesn't work, they have other options that are similar quality. That quality is not very high, but they have, <laughs> they, they have other options. And so I, I do believe that Snyder will be more pragmatic and more proactive there because he largely has been. I think we, we've kind of seen that throughout. So yeah, that's something. But let's get to when Denver has the ball. I mean, the big part of that that's going to open things up is, yes, we don't know what's going on with Barton and Harris, but we do know that Jamal Murray is available even after he tweaked his hamstring he still looked very good in uh, in that win i can't remember for the life of me who that was against it feels like a lifetime ago and are oh, you talking about uh toronto no 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 the game before that where he tweaked his he it looked like he tweaked his hamstring during the game stayed in and it oh was again he the, tweaked the, his hamstring? the eternal hope the eternal overtime game the one that went for for like oh that was against the jazz oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay but like he looks, I think I think he he looks good physically um, overall, and Murray brings an element to their attack that the other the other potential Nuggets, especially with guys unavailable, doesn't have. And Jokic is unbelievable. I mean, like that that they can Porter's a good cutter. They have a lot of different approaches that they can use off of that. I am concerned that Malone, you know, this this will come up in the Oklahoma City series. I am concerned about some of the configurations having enough like floor spacing and shooting, though I don't know that the Jazz have the personnel to take advantage like of that. And and like we've talked about this with Jeremy Grant a bunch that shooting a decent percentage but still not taking a ton of threes is a is a different you defend that differently than you do somebody who, who takes them at a higher volume. So I'm I'm a teensy bit less optimistic in in the Nuggets offense just just kind of generally due to the personnel issues that they have. But then also remember in the seeding games Denver was was fifth in offensive rating and, and on cleaning the glass and had a bunch of garbage time. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean the Jokic first Gobert matchup I think probably is going to decide the series in the end to me. I think these teams have relatively similar overall talent levels outside of that with Conley healthy and with Harris and Barton healthy. So I think those kind of cancel each other out to me. But I think where I'll start with the Jokic-Gobert matchup is, is Nikola Jokic going to have the three-pointer going and how many of those is he willing to take? Because the Nuggets love to run those handoff games. They love to run those cuts off of Jokic. That doesn't work as well without Gary Harris and Will Barton, who are some of the best at that. Porter, he likes to kind of more cut off the ball, find little openings around the basket for Jokic to, to find him, maybe pop off a screen for shots. He's not like as quick, just like sprinting out of the corner to get that handoff for Jokic. But I think generally after Jokic hands off or, you know, maybe there's a backdoor cut and so Gobert has to like back off of him a little bit. And so if Jokic can hit the three and pull Gobert away from the basket obviously he's not gonna be involved in every action as well so on some plays he's gonna space out some and Gobert will try to disrupt whatever else is going on that to me is going to be huge because if Jokic is really hitting the three-point shot I don't I think the Jazz are going to be sunk I think they're really not going to be able to clog the paint up when if you've got Jokic Porter and Murray all out there that's enough shooting to stretch out this Jazz defense and the Nuggets have this height advantage with Porter and with Millsap that they're going to be able to go to with Jokic spreading the floor operating from up top making these passes he's had some of these like 13 assists in 30 minute type of games in the seating games that to me 
me is going to be just too much for the Jazz to do. If Jokic isn't hitting the outside shot, then yeah, he still is a devastating player. He, he had a great game against Gobert, even with only two three-point makes in that crazy double overtime game. But at least the Jazz can have a theory of like, okay, we're going to pack the paint a little bit more. We're going to try and take away the passing lanes for these back doors, make Denver beat us over the top. If Jokic is hitting, and to a lesser extent, Murray and Porter, that I think that strategy is then obviated. Denver can start getting more at the rim as well. So I'd be, I think that is going to be the swing between whether we have, you know, a relatively easy Denver victory or whether they're like really scratching and clawing in this series. A related topic to that is partially due to the tall ball they've been playing. Denver has been one of the best offensive rebounding teams. And if they can pull Gobert away from the basket, you could also see some real second chance opportunities. And I don't know how aggressively, like what the balance is going to be, the choice between pushing hard on the glass. And what Denver could do, though, especially if Utah is going smaller, is use, to Brett Brown's terminology, using go guys, having one of their tall players, you know, situational, whoever's yeah. around, they stay in for it, but then whoever isn't gets the hell back. I, I could see that working I, relatively I mean, think, well of, for the think of that with either Grant or Porter and then Jokic. I mean, that's like a pretty devastating offensive rebounding group and Utah missing their point guard you know it's going to be it's hard for me to see them really just like killing the nuggets in transition going the other way they don't have that like push the ball hard kind of ball handler Conley isn't necessarily that anyway and you know Mitchell Joe Ingles I mean those guys are not going to just like run it down the throat of the opposition really something else I want to mention you could put it on either side of the ball at least one game in this series will swing because Nicole Jokic is going to get in foul trouble like it, it and probably yeah. on stupid fouls and it, it's something that he has not taken out of his game yet and well go go bear as well I think could could happen too that. yeah sure I, I Jokic has bothered me more but yeah it could happen with Gobert as well um and it'll be I, I'm fascinated to see whether either team has a concerted effort to try to you know even beyond like specific situations just hey let's try to get him one or two two quick ones early because that would make a massive difference and for, in in the form of the attack but yeah I I think the especially with the Conley news I think that for me the overall bent of the series goes the Nuggets direction we don't know still it's and I would feel more confident in that if I had more confidence in either or with Harris and Barton being available but what makes me queasy about it maybe more than anything you're you're right on the Jazz potentially being able to still generate good shots whether they go in or not we'll have to see but also like having the talent margin be fairly close and picking against who I think is the superior coach it does make me uncomfortable however one of the other kind of bigger things you look at is who could potentially be the best player in the series and I think if I had to put money on that I would say Nikola Jokic yeah I mean clearly uh, I think that's the case and he's been playing extremely well we've talked in the past about how his post up and drive game has really been helped uh, by uh, the weight they lost and we haven't talked about Donovan Mitchell that much I I think this is another chance for him he should have a decent matchup here and a lot of that depends uh, on whether Gary Harris is going to be healthy or not as well but and I thought you know Harris and Barton were shooting around before the game saw a little bit of film of that on Friday and you know they seemed to be moving okay-ish it didn't seem like inconceivable that they might actually be ready to start the series but Mitchell they had some success in that game in the double overtime bringing Mitchell off of screens off the ball particularly if Denver is going to be really aggressive in their pick and roll coverage that might be a way to get Mitchell some shots that don't involve him being on the ball in pick and roll 
so that's something to watch for as well it really is just so much to me about what personnel denver is going to have you know we haven't mentioned tory craig either his shot has uh waxed and waned over the years same thing with grant so there are some guys who are really i mean utah is definitely going to make those guys beat them from the outside and show that they're hitting i think the other thing we probably got to talk about though is just i mean the jazz right now have five good players you know and if if you want to put clarkson in that category and bradley is like an okay backup center during the regular season he's he's impressed but we haven't seen him in the playoffs before Nyang has not been any good in the playoffs before Brantley Oni I think that when Gobert is off the floor in particular you're just gonna see the Nuggets who have a pretty good bench particularly if they're bringing Barton off the bench and he looks remotely healthy to run some of the stuff on the second unit I, I think that those stretches when Gobert is off the floor it can be what eventually decides this game and then you know is Snyder gonna match up Gobert's minutes with Jokic like 100% I suspect it'll probably be that but it, because if you have Jokic out there and no Gobert you just have no chance of stopping the Nuggets I don't think I agree so what's your pick Nuggets and six I, I I there I could go in a lot of different directions with this but I think that the overall town advantage I also think they're gonna get a couple of the games when Conley is unavailable that could end up being a big swing too and it wouldn't stun me if the Jazz won the series like did I I think this is the the toughest one for me to call in terms of victor in the series. There's um, so many variables. Exactly. There's so much that we don't know. And even if they were both teams were full strength, there still would be a lot that I wouldn't feel comfortable with. Like that's just the the nature of of these two teams. But I think that Denver has the overall talent advantage. I think they have the best player. And while Utah has a very good coach and they have a scheme that I think could work reasonably well, the depth is a major problem. And that I don't I don't see variance working necessarily in Utah's favor. I think that there could be moments where it does, but like I it's weird though. But then you think back to like the kind of the counter the other way is that last year, so if, if we're not talking about series results necessarily, but we're talking about kind of how the teams played relative to opponent quality. Like last year's Nuggets victory over the Spurs was one of the least impressive to, to me series performance. Jokic individually had some good moments, but like that series shouldn't have been a seven gamer. And it was. That was not the greatest Spurs team in the world. Whereas the Jazz have, you know, they've they've had some tough losses, but they've been two good opponents that they matched up poorly against. And so that's the kind of stuff that makes me feel a little bit hesitant is that the sample, the playoff sample, I'd say bodes better for the Jazz than the Nuggets and significantly so. But this is a different team. I'm vacillating between Denver and seven and Utah and seven. If Utah had home court advantage in games three and four, I might feel better about things because if Conley were coming back for that, you could see, okay, maybe they go down 0-2, but they come back, they get back in the series when Conley returns with the help of home court advantage it's a little bit harder there i i completely agree with all the stuff that you're saying and i mean this is probably going to be our longest preview because i'm really trying to work through it here like you said denver i just i don't necessarily believe in their playoff coaching that much they still have a, a fair number of inexperienced guys i don't believe in their scheme that much defensively i do believe in Jokic as a playoff performer but maybe not anyone else you mentioned that they really underperformed in both i thought they underperformed in both series absolutely last year 
relative to their talent level and the Jazz have overperformed. Fuck it. I'm picking Utah in seven. One other stray note for the series. These are the two teams that have the largest historical um, home court advantage, largely due to altitude. And it's so it's kind of funny that they're playing against <laughs> each other in the neutral site in the neutral site bubble. But yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that one. We can jump. I mean, and by the way, if I were just going game theory trying to beat you, I clearly would have just picked Denver in seven because I if Utah had won, I still would have like gotten the credit yeah. for being closer. So this well, is well, no, because, I, but I, correct I'm, correct series winner it, correct the correct winner is a much bigger swing if you think the jazz are going to win yeah and uh, i at a minimum i mean i think like espn picked every single espn analyst picked denver in this series at a minimum i think that this series could be a lot closer than people think i I think that's definitely true so it's been all over the news lately with the economy reopening that a lot of companies are looking to hire and the last thing that you need when you don't have enough staff is to take more time than you need hiring the people that you need to run your business that's why indeed is the hiring partner who helps make your life easier it's as easy as one two three post screen and interview all on indeed you get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on indeed match your job description and you get it faster you only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications you can schedule and complete video interviews in your indeed dashboard and you can immediately get quality candidates whose resumes fit your job description they also have skills tests that you can choose from more than 130 of on average, these tools reduce hiring time by 27%. And according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires, not candidates. Anyone can be a candidate. Sometimes there are too many candidates. You want hires. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash capspace. Easy remember slash capspace because we talk about it all the time here on the program. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash capspace. That's indeed.com slash capspace. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Don't get that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. It was about a year ago now that there was that massive shortage of toilet paper. Remember that? Even still, it, it seems like you can't get as much as you might want to at the store. And that shed some light for me on the idea that toilet paper is not very environmentally friendly either. Over 27,000 trees are cut down each day to make toilet paper. And that's why now I use Real. It's 100% bamboo toilet paper. Bamboo grows faster than trees. It doesn't need to be replanted. And it's just a more sustainable material Uh, overall. It's three-ply, making it both soft and strong. Even the tape is plastic-free, as, of course, is the rest of their packaging. And every real purchase helps fund access to clean toilets for the 2.4 billion people who currently have to defecate outside so it's good for you it's good for the environment it gets sent right to your house which is awesome with free shipping so you don't have to take up 95 percent of the room in your shopping cart just with toilet paper no reason not to give it a try listeners of dunked on get 10 percent off their first order with the promo code capspace easy to remember that because we talk about it all the time around the program visit realpaper.com r-e-e-l realpaper.com and use that capspace code to get 10 percent off don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us um, let's go to a series that you and I were both extremely excited for on paper, but then I think has lost most of its luster. Not all of it, but most of its luster, and that's Celtics Sixers. I mean, the history from a personnel side between the fan bases between these two teams and also the history on the court, but Ben Simmons being out, and it, it, it totally changes the tenor of this. I mean, that that it the Sixers are a different team, and sort of paralleling something that we talked about in the previous series preview, 
I don't think that the Sixers have an appropriate way to replace him. And I think that any way they go here doesn't really create that much of an advantage for them to against the Celtics. Yeah, let's just talk about who's going to be on the court in some of these lineups for Philly. It sounds like everyone else is going to be back. Glenn Robinson missed the last couple of games with the hip pointer, but he did play before that. I think they're continuing to rest him. He actually, to me, I guess the fact that he hasn't played is a, a little bit of a reason to say no on this, but he might even be a candidate to start for them. But it'll probably be Milton, Richardson, Harris, Horford, and Embiid. Milton, to me, is the one who might end up getting replaced, but they need someone who's a little bit better pick and roll ball handler than Josh Richardson. Richardson did have that crazy 34-point game against Portland when Philly was without Embiid and Simmons, but that was also against Portland. Against uh, Toronto and Houston, he he did little, but that was uh, both of those games that weren't as important for Philly. The interesting thing about this to me, though, is Al Horford is now going to have to guard one of these Celtics wings. So that's going to be kind of just the the mismatch. I don't see Philly going into the post to Al Horford a ton, at least when the starters are out there. You could even see them bring Horford off the bench. I think they're going to start with Horford in there, but maybe as the series evolves, they'll say we don't really want that matchup of Horford against uh, one of their guards uh, at the start of games. But that to me is the first First thing that pops out is I mean, you're going to put most of these teams seems seem like they view Jalen Brown as the least threatening of Tatum Hayward and Brown because Brown doesn't necessarily do as much playmaking and doesn't run as much pick and roll so I'm guessing it'll be Horford on Brown but certainly that is a matchup that Boston may look to take advantage of. I mean you just put Jalen Brown running pick and roll out is Al Horford really going to get over a screen are they just gonna maybe they'll just switch those you know that might be something that they do if you want to just switch Jalen Brown against Joel Embiid Joel Embiid has shown some ability to switch just in that specific pick and roll matchup um but that'll be fascinating to see i mean horford and Embiid aren't going to play that much together even so like they're probably going to stagger them the way they used to stagger Embiid and simmons but they are going to play together more in the playoffs than they did in the regular season just because those are they just don't have enough good players and they need all those guys out there right and we can start this um yeah i think let's start it defensively and i mean one of the striking elements of this series and with ben simmons being out i think that a lot of attention has been paid to philly offensive identity having to change it and there could be moments as you brought up when when it happened on the pod there could be moments where their starting offense looks better but I'm really concerned about it defensively because now it shifts how many capable wing defenders you have it shifts how many capable guard defenders you have I mean Ben Simmons versatility was a big part of what made Philly's defense work and now Horford as you said guard has to spend more time yeah, guarding who, perimeter who guards Jason Tatum I mean that's the big question yeah me. Who, who guards Jason Tatum? Who guards? Josh Richardson is probably it, right? I mean, if you don't, uh, it, unless you're going to put him on Kemba, because now, thankfully, um, Kemba is. So the, the wording from Brad Stevens is that his Kemba Walker's knee is fine and he'll be ready to roll in the playoffs without a minutes restriction. So, yeah, but, it, yeah, it's but I, st- I still highly doubt he's going to play 40 minutes right at the Same. start. Same, but so yeah, I, I would probably, I guess, start with the base alignment would be Richardson on Tatum, but then you have nobody, I mean, I guess you put Shake or somebody on Kemba, it's, it's going to be a problem. So I actually, I wonder, if I'm Philly, do I just switch everything two through five maybe it's it's not it's not the worst idea and the other another one that we might see at some points is trying to force tatum into being a passer but the problem is doing doubles and things like that on a taller player generally they're going to be able to see a 
passing angle. And Boston yeah. has smart enough players that it's not the same as trapping somebody who's six foot one or six foot two. Yeah, I, I mean, I I might try that. I might just try to induce a lot of Boston isolations, and certainly Tatum can score in that. I, and I'm also, to be clear, I'm not saying that they'll do this all the time. I think maybe at the end of games when it's close, that could be something that they would look at. Because otherwise, I mean, you've got Harris and Horford. Like, are those guys really any good getting over a screen in conventional pick and roll defense? Like, I think that could be a, a real challenge for them. So you maybe you're better off switching. And yeah, you know, Horford, Harris, even Embiid, none of those guys individually are going to be like great options to say guard Jason Tatum. But are you, is that better than, you know, if Harris or Horford gets caught on Tatum, because there's going to be a lot of cross-matching and stuff in transition, is that, would you rather have Tatum going one-on-one against one of those guys, or would you rather have him getting a wide-open three off the pick-and-roll because those guys can't get through a screen and Embiid is laying back in a drop coverage? I think I'd probably rather take my chances with some switching. I would too. Maybe we're spending too much time on this and they just aren't going to do that. But uh, I mean, because they, and they also just generally have a bunch of size. They'll still have size behind the play. If you switch with anyone other than Horford and Embiid, you'll, you'll still have the help behind them with another big on the floor after you've switched, which I think is important as well. So the more I think about this, I think Philly, you know, yeah, they're missing Ben Simmons is going to be a problem. They still have a lot of good defensive players, though, on this team. We'll see how good Al Horford ends up being. You know, we haven't really seen him trying to trying to switch. It seems like he's slowed down, although he's looked better in the seeding games. Um, you know, and if they they also could go that way as well, if they if it doesn't work out with starting Horford and they got to bring in a GR three or Matisse Thibel or something like that. But I, I'm uh, I think Philly can do an okay job defending this boston team i think that walker actually to me might have the most favorable matchup depending on who's guarding him yeah especially if philly shifts some of the resources towards tatum then i think that could yeah like i think richardson is probably going to start on tatum and they'll just have to put milton on uh kemba walker and we could if walker starts killing them i think we could see milton replaced with maybe thibel and thibel will will guard either tatum or walker and they just milton to me yeah he's a gives them their best shooting option offensively but i think they're not going to struggle too much to generate open shots on the other end just because of Embiid's size so maybe they'll think our best option here is stopping the celtics turn this into a rock fight and you know we'll just have to scrape together some points through Embiid on the other end and something that gives me pause about that i, I go back to that game that we did against the uh, it was so for the league pass NBA cast, it was Spurs against the Sixers, which ended with that crazy Shake Milton shot. And it took Brett Brown basically a full half to go to what seemed like the most obvious thing, which is just feeding Joel Embiid as aggressively as you can, force help, get everything else there. And that reminds me a lot of what the, of the coaching matchup here. I mean, I think that Brad Stevens is a better regular season coach by a meaningful margin, but I think the the gap increases in the playoffs because Brett Brown. I, I just don't. I don't think that he has been particularly creative. We don't think we've seen in ten, his tenure, and he's going to have to be aggressive in terms of trying things and moving off of what doesn't work without having his complete roster. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. I mean, they do still have. You know, they're not going to be putting like guys who aren't nba players out there right but 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 getting the mix right is going to be extremely important when do you use alec burks when do you use gr3 the horford and b like timing and and like it's permutation combination type stuff could be a big challenge here well and i think he's gonna have a decision to make at some point because shake milton and Furkan korkmaz 
you know, give them more shooting offensively. And that certainly can help you around Embiid. But those guys, when you consider some of the great ball handlers that Boston has, and Boston is really a unique team in that they have four guys in their starting lineup who are really outstanding scorers that if you don't have four guys to guard them, you're at a disadvantage. But Philly actually can put those type of units out on the floor, perhaps. But are we going to see, you make a great point there of, you know, Burks, to a lesser extent, Korkmaz, Milton, those are like the offensive guys. And then GR3 and Thibel are more the defensive guys. And you could throw Mike Scott in there too. I don't think Mike Scott should play a meaningful minute in this series unless there's foul trouble personally. But because they have plenty of, of fours already on this team. Harris can shift to the four. I'd much rather see GR3 or Thibel rather than Scott. But are you going to go with these kind of more one-dimensional shooter types, score types, or are you going to go with theoretically some 3 and D guys, but also guys who can't really do much off the dribble, definitely you know are not as good at offensive players as uh, Korkmaz and Milton. Yeah, figuring out the offensive mix and like what is what is Tobias Harris's offensive role in the series with and without Embiid on the floor? I mean, one of the theories could be to, to give him a little bit more license when Embiid is off and have those be more Harris-focused minutes, but we haven't seen a ton of how that how that would work and yeah again like use limited limited specific players like are are many ways harder to deploy because you have to kind of get the mix right and make sure that you have enough of everything to make it work so uh, there are a lot of reasons for me to think boston has huge advantages it is always challenging when there's a distinct chance that the best player in the series is on the other team um and this kind of gets into something that happened in the um that we're talking about in the in the jazz nugget series but the difference for me here is that while Embiid has has that potential. I mean, there there are a lot of Celtics that are really good, and the overall talent advantage is more firmly in Boston's court with Ben Simmons being out and the Celtics being such a damn good team. Yeah, and you do make a good point. I mean, Embiid is definitely probably the most difficult to deal with offensive force, although Jason Tatum, after a rough start in the first game, played exceedingly well. Yes after that and, I, and as we mentioned i don't think boston uh or philly has an amazing matchup for him but yeah thinking about when philly has the ball obviously Embiid is the first one you're going to think about daniel tice has completely failed to contain Embiid before in any kind of a one-on-one situation robert williams i think is going to fall out in about two seconds if he's on there although he actually had exceeded cancer in terms of playing time i think we may see more of cancer here because cancer is the one guy who at least has a modicum of strength to match up with Embiid. although i don't you know i think Embiid will probably try and face him up and attack him off the drill I don't think Cantor is a great option he's just the only one who really has that like traditional center size and strength to even think about banging with Embiid in the post and so then the question becomes what's your strategy if you're Boston are you going to try and front the post Philly doesn't have the greatest passers they're going to try a lot of high low stuff with Horford trying to dump it in for Embiid with Embiid posting up right at the charge circle so you're going to have to deal with that there Boston to me is going to need to have a lot of pressure on the passer in this series to prevent those easy dump-ins particularly if you're doing any kind of a fronting on Embiid but then I would expect we're going to see a lot of double teaming and Embiid has looked more facile handling that in the seeding games than maybe we've ever seen I know Bodner and and Rich have been waxing poetic about that 
But what ways can Philly use to get Embiid the ball right at the basket? How much energy does Embiid have to just continue using his power and strength as opposed to just, okay, I'm getting the ball on the perimeter. I haven't done anything in a while, so I'm going to try and drive from up top or put someone in the mix or you know catch the ball 23 feet from the basket where the defense can really load up against him a lot more. Boston does one of the best jobs in the league of switching guys out behind the play, showing different looks on post-ups you know we saw going back to playing against LeBron James a couple of years ago they've played against Embiid in the playoffs before to some success although they had Al Horford to guard him which they don't now but uh, they certainly have a an institutional knowledge of trying to defend Embiid but the problem is really the personnel and, and Embiid has dominated against Boston in most of their games of late are there any other important wrinkles that you want to talk about in this series or are we ready to move on to predictions yeah I, I mean obviously we have to talk about Boston's bench yeah that's true and uh, the easy explanation to that is just playing your main guys more i don't know how much of that walker can take but brown is young tatum is young you know we'll see with hayward i'm sure they've they've always tried to manage him but how hard are they gonna have to push with those guys because and who are your bunch of guys want to make her well you know to me probably shouldn't be playing more than 15 minutes in a playoff game because he's just a little limited offensively semi ojale grant williams marcus i mean smart but we don't yeah, even smart yeah I, I put smart in that category of guys who can play a lot yeah right? i mean you've got those <laughs> they basically guys. have six starters and yeah. then not as many reserves <laughs> But and then are they going to try and close games with their five best players at the end? I have posited that might be a good idea because you're going to double team Joel Embiid anyway. So why not just put your five best players on the floor when you're doing that, stretch Embiid out to the three-point line? I guess in that circumstance, you probably would just put Embiid on Marcus Smart and invite Smart to fire away. But like if Tice isn't going to guard Embiid one-on-one anyway, why not just put someone smaller out there and just say, yeah, we're going to double team him every time? Because you're going to double team him every time anyway. So you just might as well just take more of the advantage on the offense. But I think Stevens at least should try that and see how it works. Not start that way, but at the end, maybe we'll see that at the end of the first half. They tried that alignment and they failed against Bam Adebayo. It really didn't look good at all. So maybe it's just not going to work. But they also were letting Adebayo go one-on-one. I don't think they're going to do that with Embiid. Uh, who would you put on Tobias Harris if you're Boston? It's probably going to be Jalen Brown, yeah, right? Yeah, that, that's what I'm In thinking. Because you want, you, I think you want Tatum to still be able to execute some of his help responsibilities. They could, they could throw Hayward on in certain circumstances. I don't think Hayward's going to get so horrendously good. But yeah, Jalen, I think, is the, yeah. is the most logical matchup something else i wanted to bring up is there is it's obviously true in basically every circumstance with an elite player that missing player x is going to make that team significantly more beatable but it's different with joel Embiid because joel Embiid misses small amounts of time pretty frequently and anytime you know so if he has like if something happens to his hand or something happens to his ankle and he has to miss a quarter or a half they're just dead in the water during that period of time and so boston's diversity of talented players gives them a viability that that phoenix that that philly doesn't have and to me the easiest argument that it could potentially be a very short series is that if Embiid misses any time whatsoever you mentioned Hayward, and he to me has looked better defensively in the bubble than he has at any point since the injury. But I do think Philly may try to exploit him a little bit. You know, of course, because it's Philly, we haven't even hardly mentioned the guy who has, you know, the $180 million contract, Tobias Harris, who's supposed to be like their primary perimeter scorer. And he just doesn't seem like the guy that you lose a lot of sleep over. And he's going to get to some mid rangers and he can get hot. He's not going to get to the foul line. Um, he's 
probably not going to be doing as much of a spot up role shooting threes as before but maybe you could say we'll try and get Tobias Harris on Gordon Hayward another thing they like to do a lot in Philly is try to get Harris posting up deep as well on some of that high low action particularly on the second unit as well I mean look for Horford to just do a lot of playmaking on those second groups so I, I do think Boston has the size but they might try to have whoever Kemba Walker is guarding set screens for Tobias Harris either to get him a quick post up or to get the matchup on the perimeter against Walker where Harris can use his size out there to back down a, a little bit so that that'll be something to watch of how they try and attack Walker that could be what they perceive as the one weak point on the perimeter as well maybe more so even than Hayward and then I think Philly is definitely going to let Marcus Smart shoot the ball and he certainly can get a little bit eager particularly considering all the other awesome threats that he's taking shots away from so that is something else to watch out for as well uh, on Philly's standpoint but you know we've seen some random Boston guys hit a bunch of shots against Philly before like going back to 2018 and uh, I'm sure many Philly fans are scarred by that but that's not a reason to change up your strategy in this series agreed I picked first last time do you want to pick first this time you go Boston and six it's the same for me like this this series i could see being very different like different durations but not necessarily having a different tenor you know just just they basically kind of philly oh they hit a couple shots in this game or boston did it but like so i could see it going five or seven it would be hard for me to imagine philly winning it like i think it could be just like they they pull a couple of close games and remember like Embiid has the talent to overwhelm boston as as good as their team is as much as they can scramble and do everything they don't have really have anybody for him unless robert williams is a way better overall player right now than i expect that he is especially in the defensive end so yeah i'm going i'm going celtics in six as well it is weird considering i think the talent and coaching advantages pull more strongly more in the line of a a five game series here but respect to Embiid, i'm gonna go six what do you think the percent chance is that philly wins this series so we're assuming are, are we uh, assuming no ma- no more major injuries no more major in- but we're also assuming ben simmons does not play at all oh yeah there's yeah. no chance yeah that he's i agree um 25 20 something 20 25 i think somewhere in that range because i i mean i could see mb just being that damn good it's possible i don't expect it but it's possible yeah i mean the playoffs we always say it are all about matchups and he has the best matchup in this series and I do think, as you mentioned, Boston has the coaching advantage. They have the overall talent advantage by quite a bit, but they don't have the best player. And that best player, they don't have a good matchup for him. So, it, yeah, I think, you know, that, that's a reasonable assessment. I'd say, you know, 20, 25% chance. And if Embiid is really fresh, you know, we'll see how many minutes he can play too. You know, if he's able to play like 42 minutes a game, that's going to change a lot as well. Okay, quick break here. We'll get to OKC Houston. Let's start here by catching up on the injury situation. Russell Westbrook, it's been reported that he is going to miss at least the start of the series with that quad strain. The fact that he had to have an MRI, the fact that he had already missed some games due to quad soreness very concerning for me i think he's going to try and get back but he is of course extremely reliant on his athleticism i know he is will be extremely motivated of course to go against his former teammates not as motivated as chris paul will be to go against his former teammates i'm guessing but still pretty darn motivated but i'm gonna my operating assumption is we're not going to see him until like game four 
and we might not see full-on Russell Westbrook until the, towards the end of the series, I would say. Like, remember, this, this is the type of thing that might take some, that, that we might see 75%, 80% Russell Westbrook for a couple days, if not longer. So how does the loss of Westbrook change things for Houston? I think, number one, you can point to two major issues. Number one, transition. Houston was one of the slowest-paced teams in the NBA the last couple of years. Having Chris Paul was part of that, but also having James Harden was part of that. And Russell Westbrook is the offensive engine for them pushing the ball they got up to one of the highest paces in the nba this year it was a real positive for houston because even though houston is not a great in fact is probably the worst defensive rebounding team at this point in time in their present configuration if you went to the offensive glass and you didn't get it now russell westbrook was coming at you and so there was really an opportunity cost for hitting the offensive glass now without westbrook and the the thunder have stephen adams who's one of the best offensive rebounders in the nba without westbrook now you can kind of hit the offensive glass and you don't have to worry as much about Houston's transition game. Harden is not going to push the ball a million miles an hour. You, you feel that you can crash the offensive glass and still get back. That's also something that the Thunder over the years, I haven't checked what their numbers are on this this, this year, but in previous years, they've actually been one of the few teams that is really good in the offensive glass and keeping teams out of transition. Yeah, the Thunder actually, uh, they didn't do as well in the offensive glass this year, but they did yet again do an excellent job of forcing the opponent to play in the half court they were they had the third highest opponent half court percentage in the entire league this year yeah now james harden is extremely comfortable in the half court it looks like the thunder are going to be without lou dort he was diagnosed with a right knee sprain after he banged knees with jay crowder so the question becomes just what is oklahoma city going to do defensively against james harden dennis schroeder is back so he'll he'll be available but they're probably not going to start him still may uh, terrence ferguson maybe as he go into the starting lineup for the thunder i think he's He's shown some pretty good ability as a, a defender, but he's also a little thin and Harden can kind of get into his body, knock him backwards and get to that step back. So in a one-on-one situation, are they going to go Robertson? I don't think they're ready to start him yet. He could get some spells on Harden, particularly if he's cooking, because he's got that institutional knowledge. He guarded him back in those that 2017 uh, three-shot foul series that will always live in our hearts. <laughs> um, but I think the more I think about it, I think we're going to see some pretty extreme strategies from Oklahoma City here because Danilo Gallinari, I think Houston loves that matchup. Steven Adams is in a conventional pick and roll strategy you know we'll see whether houston wants to do that although harden has looked much better finishing the room he shot 70 this race shot 77 percent from two in the bowl games i think kevin pelton had that stat which and uh, compared to 54 percent for the regular season and consider that harden basically only shoots inside the paint from two-point range 54 percent is actually pretty low so if he can keep that up particularly when you consider i think the fact that houston spreads the floor so well is a big reason why harden was able to shoot so well in the seeding games from two but you you know, you've got Steven Adams. He might get on an island against Harden in some sort of a conventional coverage. If they go with Dennis Schroeder, he's going to be too small. Harden will just shoot right over him. Paul maybe can do a better job, but I still think with the size advantage that Harden has, he'll be able to shoot right over him. Chris Paul doesn't have very long arms. He'll try to get into his body, but I think Harden can create the space. So you see all that. I think we're going to see, particularly without Westbrook, some pretty extreme double teaming of James Harden in this series. Right, because the disadvantage that the Rockets, the other one beyond the uh, transition and the non-Harden minutes that, that Houston has is a lack of 
ball handling and playmaking outside of James Harden, you know, decision making, you know, going back to, I, I use the 17-18 or the 18-19 really, either one Phoenix Suns is an extreme example, and the, and the Rockets aren't that bad, especially with Eric Gordon back, but they don't have a lot of guys that can do the two dribbles and a good decision type stuff, and they'll have more space to work with, to be sure, but it, it will be a real challenge for them, and especially if in some of those configurations, if Adams is not involved in the screen action, then it'd be harder for them to get something around the basket that would open up the three-point line. But yeah, I mean, Ben McElmore, Robert Covington, Daniel House trying to play, take advantage of a three on two, you know, they'll, they'll have some advantages, but it, it won't be it won't be just smooth sailing like it is for some of these other teams when you double their best player. Yeah, Eric Gordon is coming off the injury. He was able to play 20 minutes in their game against Philly. I thought he looked OK. House also has a toe injury. It looks like he's going to be available, but he's going to be a, a key player. He may even start for Russell Westbrook. And I mean, maybe they'll yeah, who's going to start for Houston? They'll, they'll obviously Tucker and Harden Covington. I think it'll be House and Gordon. Could be. Yeah, I guess Ben McLemore would be your, your other option or Austin Rivers. Sure. Yeah, I think those are I think those are the off the top of my head the seven players that will actually play. Yes, without Russell Westbrook. So to me, I think Houston's going to score fine against OKC. Harden, they don't really have a great answer to me for Harden. And well, and so here, if you have to here's, here's Harden, another yeah. way to think about it. Houston's approach without the double is going to be on both ends of the floor. It's it's basically just we'll get your worst guy onto our best guy and then we'll attack unless you double. And OKC, you talk a lot about how the playoffs are more about weaknesses than strengths, and I and I think that's a great point. OKC will almost always have somebody that that they can attack aggressively, that they can try to get on. And I don't think OKC has a they have the scheming or the depth to avoid those matchups. I don't think they can hide Dennis Schroeder effectively, for example. But Gallo is going to have big, big problems against Harden too. It's not it's not just one guy. And con- congratulations, Darius Baisley, you looked very good in the seeding game better than I expected but now you're getting now you're getting thrown into the ocean without a canoe and I there are a lot of things that I like about the Thunder but that specific challenge and I think that's what's going to lead them to double is that they can't do anything else yeah and also then you throw in that Westbrook isn't available and that he is the outlet one point that's been made though is at least now you don't have Capella out there so if you double team Harden can just throw the ball directly to a three-point shooter for a three-pointer and Westbrook was the guy that teams actually would double off more early in the year because he wasn't as dynamic at that point and he wasn't going to take a three right away and so Westbrook was going to have to drive it would be him and Capella out there and so you figure hey we can guard a two-on-one with Westbrook and Capella briefly as our guys get back into the play Oklahoma City certainly will be fighting very hard to keep Steven Adams near the rim in some of these configurations they'll zone up behind the play when they double team and but I think Mike D'Antoni is a really good offensive coach he's seen a, a lot of these strategies he's been through the wars over the years that he will figure out the nuances of how to deal with the double teaming put guys in position to succeed so I think Houston is going to score fine against OKC Harden is going to be able to play a ton of minutes he's fresh I think he's one of the players who to me most benefits from this format where they had all this time off beforehand He's looked awesome so far, and he's by far the best player in this series. So I think that this Oklahoma City, there's only so much they can do against Harden. Yeah, Houston is going to, a lot of it's going to depend on just whether their shots are falling. But I think Houston is going to get very good shots against OKC. To me, the real variables come on the other end. OKC going against that switching defense of the Rockets. 
Right. And I, I brought up that Houston, there's such a definitive and extreme scheme that you can kind of see how their series are going to go because that's how a Rocket series has to. And for Houston defensively, a lot of times the aggressive switch, switching scheme, what it ends up with is try to have your, your guys create an isolation. And so sometimes it can actually be analogous to what the Rockets do on offense, which is you're the, the opponent's best guy against the most desirable Rocket that they can get. And I actually think there's some real, some real hay to be made for the Thunder there because their personnel is flawed defensively, and I think it could be there. But Gallinari in particular, and potentially Chris Paul as well, depending on which Rockets he can get on, I think have some real advantages. And Gallo, great at getting to the foul line. There won't be as much help defense there. And I could see him doing very well. But there's a big there's a big counter here, and that is Houston is also a very good team at especially in the playoffs when you know who you know your opponent so well, leaving the right guys and basically saying, Okay, if you're gonna throw it out to player X, then so be it. And OKC, whether Lou Dort is available or not, they are almost always playing one of those guys. And so I think that is how Houston will try to negate some of the advantages that OKC has. Yeah, the the not guarding people and then when OKC KC goes to that super small lineup that has been awesome. You call it the Energizer Bunny Unit with Schroeder to close. I don't put a ton of stock in the fact that OKC has been so good in the clutch at the end of close games. And to the extent that you want to say that that is repeatable it's because chris paul has been able to get in a pick and roll against a conventional pick and roll coverage and get to the right elbow every time but houston's not gonna let him do that they're gonna make him switch houston is very very familiar with chris paul's game chris paul's game has been very difficult to deal with for a long time but he also has some limitations that houston's gonna be aware of with the the fact that he always has to go right in the end you know not a great passer with his left hand and okc if you look at it their guards dominate the ball out they don't move the ball a lot I don't think that OKC has the institutional knowledge to get those quick slips to take advantage of just moving the ball to the other side of the floor extremely fast to to attack from there against an overloaded Houston defense against the ISO to yeah like those 11 things or whatever that you talked about is like the different the different scheme ways that you can get to it and that's why to me other yeah well well, just to elaborate on that yeah I mean there's just there's uh, and we'll see we'll talk about this a lot during the series but if you can just get like six or seven just force a communication error get a quick slip away or maybe if hey they're not guarding you and you're a non-shooter now you go screen for someone who is a really good shooter and he gets open that way or i mean it's just we saw what a slog that 2018 series against the warriors was but the warriors eventually found just enough ways to avoid isoing on every possession if you're isoing on every possession unless you're james harden basically it's probably not going to work out for your team in the end against a good offensive team and that's what houston is so oklahoma city has got to find a way the offensive glass can be part of that too but they've got to find ways to just not end up in an iso and i'm not sure that they have that within their dna to get those 10 plays a game where you force a miscommunication and you get a layup or something like that that boosts your efficiency so you're not just stuck going one-on-one against at least a decent defender every time and that means shay gilgis alexander is probably gonna have to be great i mean they especially if chris paul has some real challenges and i think shooter will have a tough time in this series shay has looked strong in moments he has attacked he he doesn't get rushed which i really 
really like. I, I He might be their best hope in an isolation, particularly where I really would like him, Danny, is like attacking immediately against the switch instead of like backing it out uh, and then like trying to go at the guy one-on-one. -on -one. What do you think of that? I like it. I, I think that, and I think Gallows decide, doubt, can also do well in this series too, depending on depending on where it goes. But yeah, it would be for me, it's those two guys and, and Paul will have his moments, but Shea more so than, especially than Schroeder, I think is, is going to have opportunities. But again, this is a very different test and a very big one for him. And while I've really liked how Gilgis Alexander has looked in the seeding games, it's a it's a very different challenge. And I, I'm I'm going to, I'll believe it when I see it, but I need to see it before I believe it. The good thing is that Shea has some playoff experience sure. for last year. So I think that that will help him. I also think that I want to see how long it takes Billy Donovan to figure this out, that Robert Covington is by far the weakest individual defender. I mean, we'll see what Ben McLemore looks like. I don't think he's going to get that that many minutes. So. But to me, Robert Covington is the most flammable individual defender and also the best help defender on the Rockets. So by attacking Robert Covington, if you do have to go into an ISO, by attacking him, number one, he's just not that strong. He doesn't change direction all that well. But I think Gallo in particular, using his power and getting to the foul line could really have some success one-on-one -on -one against Covington. But moreover, you're also, by forcing Covington to guard the ball, taking their best help defender out of the play. And so their help is worse and their individual's defense is worse if you go at Covington. So in the inevitable ISOs that are going to result, he would be my guy. He's also going to be prone to fouling a little bit by reaching in a lot. So And he's going to have to play just a crap ton of minutes uh, for the team Covington also. So, you know, he shoots threes, but he's also a terrible driver. So he's a little one-dimensional on the other end as well. If you wanted to try and double off of him and make him make a play, if he's not hitting the shot, that's something that they can attack. So is Billy Donovan going to be tuned in enough to some of these specific weaknesses of Houston's personnel to take advantage of? I think Chris Paul definitely will be, uh, but that'll, that'll be something that I'll be watching for as well. If when they do attack an ISO, like, can they find the weak point? Yeah, and I have, I could... I, I, I think that I had the most trouble figuring out the Jazz Nuggets series, but this one, it, I, I think I have a sense of it. It's just that it feels like there's, you know, it, there could be a lot of close games that slide one way or the other. Yeah. You could say, well, and it's also hard when, like, you know, Houston's all-star player, we don't know when the hell he's going to be back and how good he's going to be. That, right. that makes it a little different. It, it does. Um, is there anything else before predictions? I, I, I can go first. I, I know what mine is, but if you want to go first. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Rockets and six. Yeah, that was going to be mine. Also, if Westbrook were available for the whole series, it probably would have been five. Um, oh, it, I mean, like, have you seen? What are other people predicting for this series? I have. I generally don't look at anybody's predictions until after I've made mine, just because I feel like I feel like I would get. I, I might get here. swayed. Um, I, it seems like the Thunder are getting like a lot of hype, potentially. Um, all right, ESPN expert predictions for every opening round series. Ah, huh, no one picked Bucks in three for this Bucks Magic series, sadly. Yeah, so in the Nuggets Jazz series, Eric Woodyard, former Jazz reporter, is the only person to pick Jazz in seven. But ever there's yeah, there's some Nuggets in five here. Uh, I think they've got what like fifteen of these people. Um, so yeah, we've got oh wow, a lot of people picking the Thunder in this series. Let's see, one, two, yeah, seven out of seventeen people picking, or uh, sorry, six out of seventeen people picking the Thunder in this series. Interesting. Oh, um, one other piece of of injury news that came out while we've been recording this podcast from uh, Derek Bodner, Glenn Robinson's hip pointer injury oh, the the evaluation of it revealed an oblique muscle strain he's out and will be reevaluated in seven to ten days so basically he's out for the first round oh darn that's that's no good does that change your prediction at all 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's uh, if I had been higher on Philly winning the series, maybe it would have. And that's a bummer, especially for Robinson, because he's going to be a free agent. He's uh, would have had a chance to really establish himself in this series uh, with this chance with Ben Simmons out. And I think he also could have really helped Philly with his three and D, and they're going to miss him. But I also don't think that that. I mean, I'm not going to go Celtics in five now instead of Celtics in six because Robinson is out. Um, there's one other thing that you and I do historically here. Like you and I each value more the each round pick. So basically what that means is you use the information that we get in this first round of the playoffs to pick better in the second round. But we also just for the sake of exercise, and I think it's also just for the intrigue of how these predictions change. What do we learn due to injuries and everything else like that? We will, we should predict the rest of the playoffs. And let's start in the Western Conference uh, so the starting with the number one seed, Lakers versus Rockets. Um, since I've been thinking about this for a little while, and I don't even know if you have, I will pick first. I'm going to pick Lakers in six. Oh, man. I'm going to go Lakers in seven, but I, depending on Westbrook's health and how the Lakers look in the first round, I could very easily see myself picking the Rockets in that series. All So much depends on just how LeBron James looks, obviously. Yeah, and, I, I have a feeling he might look pretty good against And a- AD could have a big series than theoretically Lakers-Rockets, but we'll preview that if it happens. Um, yeah. Clippers, and this one we have a disagreement, though I don't think we'll have a disagreement in terms of who they'll, whether who will win, but Clippers versus the Nuggets, in my case, the Jazz and yours. Uh, I mean, I'm either, I think the Clippers are going to start playing better as the playoffs go on so I, I think i would go either clippers and five or clippers sweep i guess i'll go clippers and five just to be conservative about it and that's what i'm going to pick as well i think they could just have one slip up i you know i have it against the the nuggets so maybe Jokic gets hot for a game and and all that but remember the clippers could end up being a team in that second round where the new format of no home court and that we it might be a series that would have been a gentleman sweep but now will be a sweep sweep that's entirely possible but let's move to totally. let's move to the east bucks versus heat ah yeah i do like some aspects of this matchup and we'll, obviously we're going to do full preview before these matchups actually happen although with the truncated schedule it may be difficult to find time but we're gonna get we're gonna give it to you well well we, i mean we if, are, if these series are shorter we'll, we'll probably have some windows that's true yeah i guess that's right uh though they can move up the finals this year which is interesting like usually there's been kind of a backstop and it from shams Tranya's reporting it sounds like there is not that backstop this year so i think bucks and five i think they're just going to be too good in the end and yeah the heat have some aspects i think they could put some really good defensive lineups out there i think that they have some shooters that could trouble the bucks a little bit but i think ultimately they're just not gonna be able to score well enough against the bucks and if they go to their best offensive lineups then the bucks are gonna be able to score a lot better so i think i think i'll ultimately go with bucks and five in that one i think there's a chance with the changes to miami's rotation that i end up going bucks and six here when we get yeah. to the actual series because if hero and robinson and it just the if it looks better against indiana i could see it going that way but without yeah. that evidence i'm gonna go bucks and five as well Re- yeah or if the bucks guards are playing really poorly or something like that that might be another thing that could shift that uh, second round, Holy Grail, Raptors Celtics, a brutal series. The one that I am most excited to see in the second round, second most, second number two series in the entire playoffs that I'm most excited to potentially see. And also the one that I'm most torn on. I, I think that the argument in favor of Boston is that they have all of these different offensive threats. They have so many different capable scorers and ball handlers. And also that Toronto's offense is has some very real concerns, but Toronto has been the best defensive team inside the bubble. There's full reason to believe that it will continue. 
So I'm going to go Celtics in seven, helped by them not having to have home court, like that it's it's not a different circumstance, but ugh. Yeah, I'm just trying to decide between Celtics and seven and Celtics and six. I think I like the matchup much better for the Celtics against the Raptors than I do against Philly, just because there isn't the impede factor. I think the Celtics have plenty of guys to throw at Pascal Siakam. I think they're going to avoid fouling against some of these guys for the Raptors. Go, I'm going to go Celtics and six in that series. Okay, let's stay in the East then. We both have it Bucks versus Celtics. I picked for last time, so I'll toss it to you. Yeah, the Giannis matchup, it's just the Celtics aren't going to be able to deal with that. I do think the Celtics might be the team, maybe more than any other in the whole league, that is best set up to take advantage of the Bucks' scheme as far as their ability to shoot three-point shots off the dribble with Tatum and Walker. But if you can't stop Giannis on the other end, which I really think they have no hope at whatsoever, you're just not, they're not going to get enough at the rim to really score at an elite rate against this Bucks defense. So I'm going to go with... I'm trying to decide between Bucks and five and Bucks and six. I guess I'll play it safe and go Bucks and six. I was torn between them two, so I'll go Bucks and five just to make it different. <laughs> All right, Western Conference Lakers Clippers. Although it could be, I, I, I reserve the right or to change my mind. It could be Clippers yeah, Rockets. And but. and I think people who've listened to this pod long enough know this, but changing our opinions based on new evidence is not weakness. That is incorporating new evidence you and i maybe that's the legal background in this that's that's the way it should be it shouldn't be that you have oh you're bold if you keep your prediction it's like no you are evaluating new circumstances however yeah when people are like oh well you know i picked these guys at the beginning of the year so i gotta stay with my pick like no no you don't that's not how this works it's not how it works at all however i am staying with my preseason prediction um i i think that this the clippers match up well against lakers they have more more variety i think that it will be very hard for the lakers to slow down like specifically what the Clippers approaches the combination of Leonard and George is is there and the other part of this if that I think is worth incorporating in pre-playoff picks is I think despite them having a, a very different seeding games due to players being unavailable I do think that the Clippers are more likely to make it to the conference finals than the Lakers and I and so that also gives me a little bit more confidence picking them I'll go with Clippers and six it wouldn't stun me if this was Clippers and five but I'm going with six yeah, it wouldn't either. And we just don't know what LeBron James were getting. I think that's the, the biggest thing. You, there always is the possibility that he can just be the best player in a series. Even even now at this point at 35 years old, he has struggled. He's got this groin issue that he missed a game for. The jumper has really been on and off as it has been for their whole team. But I think they're going to hopefully find a rhythm against Portland. And they do have a, a lot of good players on this team. So I, I would still give the Lakers a 30% chance of winning this series. But I do think uh, Clippers and six is the most likely outcome. And if I had to pick, is it more likely to be five or seven? I probably would tentatively go for five as well there. But uh, Clippers and six. But I've, I would give the Lakers a higher percentage chance of winning the series than that Clippers and six prediction might indicate. That's that's a fair distinction to make. And I, and I would largely agree with it. That means we both have the same finals teams. We might not have the same finals prediction. Clippers versus Bucks. I just went first. So where do you go? Oh, I'm torn between Clippers and seven and Bucks and seven. I think I'm going to go with the Clippers in the end. They just have 
I think they have the coaching advantage in that series. I think that they just have more versatility, more things they can do. I think Leonard is a really, really difficult matchup for the Bucs. They don't have anyone who guards him particularly well individually. You know, you might say, I'll put Giannis on him. Well, Giannis has some other stuff to do, number one. And number two, he can't get through a screen. Uh, Leonard just torched the Bucs last year. And I think actually he's probably going to be playing at a higher level this year uh, with a, a better state of health. He was really was kind of limping around out there by the end of that series and i think with leonard and george and some of these small lineups they can do with switching that they can contain the bucks enough but i think it, it ultimately comes down to the fact that i don't think the bucks have great matchups for leonard and george and that those are the guys who are just good enough jump shooters have the size can get to the shots that they want against that crazy buck system that they're either going to force them out of that or they're going to just rain down fire on them and I will go Clippers in seven, although I do still feel that teams are maybe under, or, or not teams, but I, I feel that pundits are underrating how good this Bucks team is and it, that they are going to show that, particularly in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Just this Clippers team is really good too, but this is one that easily could change based on how these teams are playing going in and who's available for these teams as well. Absolutely. And something that I've been lingering on in this potential series is that Milwaukee is this unbelievable rim protection team, but I just don't think that has as much utility against the Clippers as it does against a lot of other really good teams. It could theoretically against the Lakers, incidentally, but that's not necessarily what the Clippers are going to be looking for. They have capable three-point shooters. Kawhi doesn't need to get all the way to the basket. And so if you... You don't negate that. The Bucks still have that in their back pocket. But also, you brought up the coaching matchup. I don't think there are as many lineup configurations. And I wouldn't trust Budenholzer to be aggressive enough. You know, like if if they go down, I think it's going to take Budenholzer longer to adjust than it would for Doc Rivers and that Rivers has more potential adjustments to make. What gives me pause is I've said before and stand by this that the Bucks are the most likely champion as of this moment just because they have an easier path to get there. Like there, it, I see many more potential pitfalls both due to health and due to opposing talent in the West for the Clippers than I do in the East for the Bucks. However, I don't feel comfortable picking a team as my champion just because they have an easier path to get to the finals because I think that the Clippers are a superior team if they get there. And so I am acknowledging the potential flaw in my approach, but I'm going to yeah. go Clippers in six anyway. Well, and I mean, it's it's when we are doing this, we are trying to pick the most likely specific outcome, not the most likely champion. I would agree with you. I mean, if, if you had to put money on a team to win the championship right now and you didn't know what the odds were, the Milwaukee Bucks would be my pick as the most likely team to win a championship. But is the way that we're doing this, gaming out the specific scenarios, and by the way, if it were Bucks lakers in the finals, I think I would pick the Bucks. I probably would too, but acknowledging that the Lakers getting there likely means that they're doing really well, so I, I could change. Yeah. Um, I just think the Bucks are set up pretty well. Now, if the Lakers go to just like Anthony Davis at center and it's small ball and it's pace and space a lot more than, than what we've seen from them, then maybe that would change things for me a, a little bit. But yeah, I, I think just, again, the Bucks being the most likely specific team, even if I think, you know, it's more likely than not to me that the winner of the finals comes from the Western Conference this year, but it's still the Bucks have the, the easier path. And so you just, if you think they're more likely to get there, it makes more sense to pick them. So that's, hopefully people understand those distinctions but and that isn't us couching uh, things or doing caveats that's just yeah. how we feel yeah 
Um, let's hit some quick news here on some of the series that we already looked at. PJ Warren, or sorry, TJ Warren, geez. I, I should, he's on the Pacers. His name is TJ, of course. What is wrong with me? Uh, his That plantar fasciitis that he missed a couple of games with, he participated in Sunday's practice. He's going to play. They said that the staff is doing a good job uh, of managing that for their opponents. Miami, Jay Crowder practice with that knee contusion sounds like he's gonna be good to go Derek Jones Jr. had that scary collision uh he did not take part in Sunday's practice he's hoping to be ready for the start with what is diagnosed as a neck strain Aaron Gordon with his left hamstring only participated in the walkthrough portion of Saturday's practice so you'd have to say that his availability is certainly in question going into that Bucks series and that will do it the next time we talk to you we'll be talking about actual nba playoff games i can't wait for that stay tuned uh, on twitter we still don't know precisely what our schedule is going to be in terms of either the traditional nba cast or something else so uh, we will keep you updated on that and we'll talk to you tomorrow night till then in 2021 it's finally okay to talk about our mental health and happiness humans aren't meant to keep everything inside It makes us sick, and therapy helps. But what is therapy exactly? Well, it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing with stress well. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles, because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, or even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And it's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. It may or may not be for you, but it's worth looking into, because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Stitcher. That's BetterHelp.com slash Stitcher.